they're very different when I when I'm thinking about technology here and like paganism, mm-hmm. but they're similar in the sense that they give you the the sense that you are your own god and that you're in control. And pledging allegiance to Christ is the opposite of that. Yeah. And and, and, and so that's the main difference here is that Christianity is an inherently it's not it's not competing it's not in competition with any of these other systems because it's not even in the same category as far as what the outcome actually is. Hello and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host Cameron McAllister and I'm your co-host Nathan Rittenhouse. Nathan, I've been really interested in the spiritual habits of our neighbors lately and I mean neighbors in the broader sense here. But I think some of you will be aware of the book Strange Rites, R-I-T-E-S. This has come up a number of different times on the podcast. This is written by Tara Isabella Burton, who I believe completed her PhD at Oxford University, but has written, she interacts a lot with pop culture stuff as well. She's written for a number of different publications, but her area of interest, I mean, her area of expertise rather is sort of the sociology of religion. So she's it's a it's a it's a good book and it offers an interesting survey of american life right now so what i'm going to say i'll just i'll set out some of some of what is talked about here and then we'll kind of go from there if you hear some whistling behind me that's the wind it's a very it's a blustery day over here nobody's nobody's cat calling me but she <laughs> talks about the fact that america is kind of a very spiritual in a very spiritually vibrant moment if you look oh. at our habits. Well, it's not just habits. I mean, there's a phenomenal amount of research out there right now saying that we mm-hmm. live in a I mean, yeah. The, it, it used to be well, yeah, sorry. I not just so uh, that's undisputed across the board, although sometimes maybe it doesn't always immediately pop into our minds as something that we would just say, "Oh yeah, this seems true to me." But I think as Cameron speaks here, We'll get, we'll get on the same page. Yes. Well, I mean, the data, as they say, bear that out. That's true. I mean, any number of surveys and polls will will draw, will give you, lead you to that same conclusion. But why does that seem counterintuitive in some ways? So again, I want to pipe up here for a kind of common sense understanding of this in just a moment and say, those who don't recognize so much spiritual vibrancy are not wrong. But let me get there first. So a lot of people using meditation apps and very interested in yoga and also lots of Middle Eastern or New Age practices, a lot of that happening. A lot of tarot cards in the mix, a lot of pagan rituals. This is this is this stuff isn't unusual at all. And in fact, it hasn't been for a long time, Nathan. I think it's worth pointing that out as well. And again, if you look at the data. America has is, is always been a very spiritually eclectic nation. Part mm-hmm. of that has to do with how international the country is. But part of it also has to do with the fact that Americans are just very spiritually curious people. This is a, this is a religiously very interesting nation to be a well, part of. And we are founded on religious so, diversity. So, I mean. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good start. It's a good start. And also the notion that we don't want to be beholden to dogma or some sort of institutional church or formal expressions of religion also is kind of in our DNA. And there's a very American frame of mind. I mean, Americans are, we Americans are at heart rebels in some ways. 
and that that's borne out in our in our spiritual practices as well. So, and again, a place to go there is just look at the writings of Emerson. You know, Emerson eventually walked away from institutional Christianity because he, I think, the actual the, the real the straw that broke the camel's back for him was communion. But he he wrote increasingly very in very you know in, in very poetic language about the need to discover your own brand of spirituality. Now he wouldn't have used a hideous word like brand, but <laughs> his big picture is of course get out into the woods, you know, into nature, and that's where you'll you'll discover discover your true inner light, that sort of thing. So this has been with us since the nation's inception. But also, if you look back to the nineteen, the late sixties, the seventies, in some ways, our, our moment is is there are striking parallels. A number of people point that out, but certainly in the late sixties, early seventies, lots of experimenting with paganism, and you know different modes of spirituality and all of that. So Tara Isabella Burton gives us a newfangled term, the religiously remixed. It's not my favorite term because it's basically just syncretism. So I think <laughs> you can just say syncretism. Religiously remixed isn't even an easier. Usually, if you if you if you bring in a neologism, you're trying to you find you're trying to find a more concise way to say something. But religiously remixed is a whole lot more cumbersome than just syncretism. Just say syncretism. But yeah, she's pointing to the habit of us taking a very individualistic approach to religion. So think about something like. Buddhism. I'm going to pick I'm going to pick on an actor here. <laughs> Nathan, I don't think that will bother you too much, but this is an actor who's who's a little bit older, so some people may not even know his name anymore, but Richard Gere. Some of you will know who Richard Gere is. Richard Gere, you may also if you know him, you may also know that he is according to him a very devout Buddhist, which is a little funny to hear, you know, you about a super affluent, wealthy, powerful actor who is a, a, a Buddhist. So that's a picture, I think, of a lot of, of a kind of Americanized approach to a lot of these things. Um, something else like, like Hinduism, for instance, I mean, you the tendency to take these and mix and match them and use them sort of as a kind of fashion statement, this is sort of what Tara Isabella Burton has in mind. Can I just, while we're making everybody uncomfortable here, what about the concept <laughs> sure. of an what about the concept of an independent church? Is that a uniquely mm, American? Yeah. Um cuz cuz I I I get a sense of where you're going with this and where her book is going with it, but it's hard for me not to be like, yeah, but this is pretty much alive and well within Christianity too. So just keep yes. that in the back of your mind as Cameron progresses here mm -hmm. that we're complicit in yeah. a lot of what we might be looking down our nose at other people for here. Absolutely. And I mean, again, it's it's helpful to let's point back to the history real briefly there, Nathan. I mean, I think the, the American experiment is in part founded on getting away from a state church, of course. That said, though, that creeping individualism, which is so much in our DNA, has a way of infiltrating our congregations. And so part of so what I'm getting at here is so, yes, on the one hand, we are absolutely immersed in spiritual practices, many of them pagan, many of them having to do with witchcraft. And so let me also say this, Nathan, there's nothing neutral about any of that. I'm saying some of this with a smirk on my face and saying it with sort of a sardonic tone. Yeah, you want to talk about <laughs> witch talk. Serious. Go for it. Let me just let me just line you up to no, talk but, about witch talk. Oh, sure. Yeah, but um, but this is serious stuff. 
And I mean, again, this is going to depend on, and not all of our listeners, of course, are, are Christians. And some people may indeed subscribe to some of these, these different belief systems. And some of them may be practitioners of some of this. So from the standpoint of a Christian, I want to say on no uncertain terms, just in a spirit of intellectual honesty, I do think that there's real danger in these practices. We are, because I do think there are, there's, there are real spiritual powers at work here. And so I don't think this is neutral territory. But the, sarton, the sardonic tone that comes into my voice has more to do with, I'm smirking at American individualism. I'm not smirking at paganism. So I, I just hope, I hope mm, that's yeah. clear. So what's what the, the impression that I come away with, though, with so much of this, Nathan, so on the one hand, you could look at this and you could say, all right, well, there are so many opportunities out there now for, to, to, I mean, these are spiritual stepping stones. And in some ways, I think that's true. There are, there are numerous opportunities to talk to our neighbors about spiritual themes and to talk about Christ. I always think of Paul in, you know, Athens at the well, Areopagus. Where he, yeah. So, so here, yeah, but here's, this is, this is where I see a, a little caution flag here and people listening along may as well, is that, hmm. um, it is it is hard to get Jesus to fit. It's hard to do syncretism with Jesus. So th- there's the sense Absolutely, in which if, yeah. if you're living in a very spiritual age and like you practice one form of yoga and your neighbor is, you know, um, a warlock and you're, you know, whatever, like those are easier conversations to have. But it's not like if you say you believe in Jesus, that that's an immediate that you're, you know what I'm like, there, there's, a, there's an, yes, that's, there's a, um, what's the word? Like an, ex, it, 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 it's the same category, but it, it's not, it doesn't fit. Um, well, the day, there are a couple of dangers there and that's, that's where I'm going with this. So it may be in our, you know, Alan Noble actually makes this point, I believe in disruptive witness. It may be the case that it, yeah, you, you, so you bring up Christ in such a context, right? within one of these conversations, the person who you're talking to may understand you to be invoking Christ in the same way that they mix and match different religious outlooks. So in other words, for you, Jesus is not necessarily Lord. He's a figure you admire. You recognize the legitimacy of some of his ethics, maybe his philosophies of life. But they wouldn't necessarily see, if you say, I, I follow Jesus, they wouldn't necessarily recognize that you have bowed the knee, surrendered your entire life, everything, every part of yourself to him and recognize him as God and Lord of all. That's a different kind of commitment. It would take you a little bit more time perhaps to get there, which is, again, so the temptation. So Paul, the reason I think of Paul at the Areopagus is because he points to that altar to the unknown God. In times like ours, where there are so many altars to unknown gods just everywhere, the temptation is to stay there lingering in front of the altar and just mm-hmm. talk about spiritual realities. Because people will be there with you really quickly. Especially another entry point for a lot of people is any kind of paranormal activity. I mean, most people have had some sort of experience, and usually the way they'll put it is, I can't account for this in rational terms. Now, of course... If you've had a genuinely experience, spiritual experience, talking about it is perfectly rational. But you know what they mean. They mean mm-hmm. they've, they've experienced something that they, to their mind, violates the laws of nature or something like that. So people will talk to you about that and they'll be very open to it. But as soon as you start to get more and more specific, 
And as soon as you start to flesh out what you mean by Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, then all the old difficulties once again show up. But what I want to say here real quickly, and then kick it over to you, Nathan, is that the impression I get after reading through material like this, whether it's Tara Isabella Burton or other religious scholars right now, is that, so some of the people will say, well, look at this. We are absolutely enchanted after all. We are not disenchanted. You know, America is peopled with innumerable gods. I say, I think that's wrong. These are highly individualistic and very superficialist, superficial approaches to religion for the most part. Mixing and matching, reducing it more or less to a product or a fashion statement. So the paradigm, ex- the paradigm experience or the paradigm example of a sacred experience, Nathan, and this is, I mean, most people would say is just that it's a feeling of smallness in the face of a sacred encounter with the absolutely other. I'm speaking in very general terms here, which will annoy some people who are more theologically minded. I sound like Rudolf Otto here, the idea of the holy. But the, the notion is that you you experience something that makes you that reduces you, makes you small, threatens even to annihilate the self in the sense that this is you've I of, I always think of think about the Christian responses to this kind of thing. I love Thomas Aquinas for instance. You know the story about Thomas Aquinas when he didn't complete the Summa Theologica. And he had a spiritual, he had a mystical experience, and he said, it looks to me like straw. <laughs> so that's that's what I, that's, so something like that, that would just make your entire life's work look like straw, or, you know, the, the notes sewn into the inside jacket of Pascal that said, when he had a mystical experience, the, the one, I mean, there, were, there was a prayer in there, but one word, fire. I mean, so something like that. None of that is evident in any of this. This is all of this. Th- this looks like apps. This looks like an item of clothing that you would buy. So in other words, it just looks like something that's shrunken to fit our own preferences. Okay. And Hang on. if you're not escaping the self and the personality, then I don't, there's, we're disenchant. This is just disenchantment in disguise. So, okay. So there you have let's it. talk. That's a wonderful setup. So you put the ball on the tee. Let me take a couple swings at it. Um, and ask some follow-up questions. Well, let's talk about that use. You, you referred to the app in there. And let's talk about the use of technology in this. Because I don't mm-hmm. think, you know, you might say, well, we don't really live in a spiritually enchanted world. Unless we can start to see certain forms of technological use as attempts at some sort of spiritual utility behind sure. them. Namely, that what by and large is happening in a lot of this re- deeply religious or quasi-spiritual meanderings is that you see the chaos of the world and you're trying to find a way to bring order into the chaos, usually by manipulating something so that the chaos turns out to be good for you or the order turns out to be good for you. So there's, it's almost like the prosperity gospel of a non structured religion. So you're saying how do, what Mm. tools do I use or incantations or manifestations? um, What spells uh, maybe use a traditional word there. What are the what are the steps that I go through in order to bring about good for myself? And so mm-hmm. it's it's interesting, like in the man, this is hard to get out. So help me put this together. There's a sense in which we can use technology to become our own gods. That's been true since yep. the Tower of Babel, but we we're yep. definitely better at it now. So there's that sense. And and that's a that's a deceptive one. 
then on paganism, you have this idea of like you're gaining some control over these spirits in order to get them to do your will. But then you later find out that you're sucked in more deeply than you want to be and you actually aren't in control anymore. So Mm -hmm. there's some real parallels to me thinking like kind of like a, a, a secular technological attempt at spiritualism versus yeah. an ancient and and you know there's a real draw to native americans um native african um mm-hmm. forms of sure. spirituality yeah. and and they're often dressed up in all sorts of kind of political terms like anti-patriarchy spirituality or you know um anti-feminist yeah. you know yeah whatever um so so they're they're very different when i when i'm thinking about technology here and like paganism but th- mm-hmm. they're similar in the sense that they give you the the sense that you are your own god and that you're in control and pledging allegiance to christ is the opposite of that yeah and and and, and so that's the main difference here is that christianity is an inherently it's not it's not competing it's not in competition with any of these other systems because it's not even in the same category as far as what the outcome actually is. Yeah, I think I see where you're going with that because so healthy spirituality is a quest. I'm just speaking in really general terms. It's a quest that takes you beyond yourself to serve something greater than yourself. Again, speaking in ridiculously general terms here. Magic and in some of its original instantiations has to do with manipulation and control. And sometimes it takes a negative form. So if we're looking at something like voodoo, magic is an attempt to appease angry or vengeful spirits and keep them at bay so that you can prosper. In another sense, but then there are other forms of magic that are just meant to, namely spells and and, and things like that, that are meant to harness the the you know the resources of nature and take control. You know, alchemy. That's that that was the this was the goal. So many people, and including many so shrewd historians of the natural sciences and technology, draw a logical connection there, and they're not wrong. So, and if this sounds familiar to some of you, C.S. Lewis did this too, by the way. In fact, I think I forget precisely where it is. He does it in fictional form in That Hideous Strength, and I think he talks about it in The Abolition of Man as well. But he draws a direct connection between ancient sorcery and modern science. Now, that's probably not always entirely fair. It's worth pointing out also (laughs) that modern science flourished under the patronage of the church because the church, Christians, are the ones who believe that the universe is legible and knowable because it was created by God. But uh, you you brought in the example of Babel, there's another pronounced tendency when we gain technical mastery over something for it to go to our heads and mislead us and also drive us in an, in in the direction of idolatry where we want more and more control and we want to do more and more things and we want to harness those powers. So, And we want to manipulate, bend the world and the universe to our own ends. Now, that is the precise ambition of magic. Can- so, yeah. So there can is say, so that's absolutely a salient factor, yeah. Can you bring can you loop back in the title of the book you're referencing Strange Rights as it pertains to what we're discussing here? So so there's I think on one hand we're talking about the impulse to be our own god or have control or to have spiritual or mystical mm-hmm. experience. Connect that to rights though for us. The R I T E 
S rights. Um, what is it about the, the need for, for ritual and routine and, um, how does that play? Well, I think this? you were get. yeah, it's a great question. I think you were actually, were getting at it earlier, Nathan. I think it's, there's a sense right now for a lot of people that the world is very chaotic. Let me flesh that out for a second, Nathan. I've got a, I'm, I'm actually building a talk on this right now. So, Hey, let's, let's do a little experiment. See if you buy it and <laughs> see if listeners find it compelling. I think the phrase I would use right now to sum up our moment for just everyday folks, most of us going through our days, is that we feel like we've lost our script. And so here's, think about this. Andrew Del Banco had a helpful, I know you asked me to talk about Strange Rights, so here I am, I'm going to bring another <laughs> another book. <laughs> Sorry, I'll go, I'll go back to Strange Rights. Andrew Del Banco wrote a, a great little book, very profound, called The Real American Dream, a meditation on hope. I heard Tim Keller reference this years ago in a talk, and I immediately gobbled it up because it's it's a really good book. But the book is divided into, and it's a short one too. So hey, short read, great, you should read it. Three sections, just three sections: God, nation, self. So he describes a narrowing lens right there for most people. So it starts off, you know, America has a, a Christian heritage. I'm not arguing that it's a Christian nation in its past or anything like that. It has a strong Christian heritage, though. So before, when you have a vision where people are animated to serve God, you have a script. You know where you came from. You're made by God. You have an identity rooted in, in God and Christ. You know where you are because you know where you came from. You're on this earth. This is a mortal coil, but you have work to do here as well. And you're, But also, you're about the Lord's business. And you know where you're going. You have a destiny. Your destiny is to be with God. Now it gets narrowed down. And he's, Del Banco thinks the key figure here is Abraham Lincoln, where he really kind of brings in a whole new kind of civic religion. And that's a, it's a really intriguing argument. We don't have time to talk about it right now, but I think he's probably right about that. But now... You are, who are you? You're, well, you're an American. Your citizenship is very big, and not just your citizenship, you belong to this nation. These are your people. These are where you come from. So where are you? You are part of America. You serve this nation. You want to see its future solidified. And so you have a destiny, that destiny. So it's shrunken a little bit now. You're away from a cosmic ruler now to a national identity. But then you go all the way down the funnel to self. Now it's narrowed to only your own personal interests, interests, your your whim, and your own personality, and that's where we're at today. And you know, Del Banco wrote this book a long time ago, nineteen nineties or something like that. So we're there now to the nth degree, and so we're like those characters in Pirandello's play, six characters in search of an author. We don't have a script anymore. We don't know where we came from. If you don't know where you came from, you don't really know where where you are. It's hard to make sense of where you are, and we certainly don't know where we're going. Nobody can agree on on the destiny where we're going. And Americans don't really like a destiny anyway. We like the idea of becoming. We don't like to actually think about where we end the journey. So people feel like they have no script. So when you walk around feeling like you have no script, there's a, it's a, there's a feeling of unease and and restlessness and deep deep anxiety. So you desire order. Well, rituals, we are ritual beings. Every day, most of us will get up and brush our teeth, I hope, and we'll have breakfast. We'll go through certain, you know, motions, rituals every single day, kiss our spouse or whatever it is. Well, these, some of these, of course, sacred R-I-T-E-S's give us a sense of order. 
they help us, they help a lot of people to impose order on what they feel is inherent chaos. I mean, think about all the Mary Marie Kondo stuff, the obsession mm-hmm. with cleaning out your closets and all of that. I mean, on the one hand, you look back and you're like, this is just banal. Why are we all talking about, you know, decluttering our homes as though this is some great philosophical endeavor? But in another sense, it kind of is. But people are trying this. These are small ways for people to feel as though they're taking back some sense of order in their lives. And, you know, the other scholar worth mentioning here, and I think he I think he goes to greater depth than Tara Isabella Burton actually is is Drew D.R.U. Johnson. Mm -hmm. He's done a lot of work on on rights and. I think his book is called Human Rights, R-I-T-E-S. That's that's sort of a condensed version. He's got a lot of academic work on this as well. But basically, these rituals help. I mean, we need rituals anyway. We're ritual creatures. But when we seize on some of these spiritual ritual rituals, whether it's, you know, involves sage or a meditation app or tarot cards, this is an attempt in some ways. It's more than this, but it's an attempt to take back some sense of order and fight against the chaos of our lives. I mean, doesn't even somebody like Jordan Peterson uses a lot of language, Nathan, doesn't he, about Mm -hmm. chaos and and pushing against the chaos. And so what does he say? I mean, he has a whole chapter on making your bed. So I think that's a big part of it, Nathan. Interesting, uh, funny little thought popped into my mind when you're talking about Marie Kondo and the whole closet organizing thing and all of that. Did did you know that (laughs) she's uh, recanted a lot of that? Have you heard about this? Yeah, because you told me. That's right. Yeah. I forgot so, about that. So, so she had a kid. This is what this is what oh, made Marie Kondo not so stressed out about organization. She had a child, and if anything, kids are bad for, this, for for organization. I'm the I second find law of thermodynamics. They're they're bad for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kids are bad for decluttering efforts. I found yeah. that my my children sabotage my yeah my decluttering feng shui efforts on a routine yeah. basis <laughs> yeah house with four kids i say entropy is high so um <laughs> so but so i'm joking here but there are so so here's the thing you can have somebody who is an expert on how to organize a house who then actually has a child and says oh wait a second the thing i got famous for doesn't work anymore so there are times in life when yeah. when our rights and our rituals can no longer keep up with the actual lived and felt experiences mm-hmm. of reality. And I think that when you look at the what is the master symbol for chaos is death. Right. That, that is that is the ultimate, the ultimate form of chaos. Um, and so yeah, you can burn your incense and your crystal bowl ceremonies and whatever you want to make you sleep better at night, but you're gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> it's like there 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 isn't an incantation for that. And so there there's there's this funny thing where I guess for me if I you know you know obviously speaking as a Christian here to say that Christ has conquered death and you almost get this jovial response to it even out of Paul oh death where is your sting almost a mocking sense of it is that if you want to talk about the the reordering of chaos and the formation of a new heavens and a new earth that really there I let's say that every let's say that every form of spiritualism that we've talked about is true. And you're just looking at this pragmatically and saying, which of these cast a better vision for the restructuring of order and chaos in life? It's not even a contest. 
yeah. what's what's difficult is what is required to be part of what Christ is doing versus what is required to order a pack of incense on Amazon. I mean, it's just right. So there you have it. I mean, that sounds overly simplistic, but on one hand, maybe it isn't. Well, Christianity is also hardened realism realist when it comes to the the, tro- the truth of our mortality. You are going to die, and nothing you say or do will change that. And no amount of prosperity this side of eternity will change that. But if you follow Christ, death has been overcome. But you have to you have to see the world through a new set of eyes. Yes, it's beautiful and it's glorious in many ways, but it's also fallen and passing away. And so this world isn't your permanent home. And you have to move. I mean, it's not natural to have that mindset, by the way. You will default to thinking of this world as your home, of course, because guess what? This is where you live and breathe and, and you know, move around. And I was born is, here. It makes sense to, to mistake this. I was born here. <laughs> I've always known it my whole life. <laughs> I was but born it's in not this your world. Home. And so yeah, you have to get you have to get in touch with God's kingdom and you have to see the world as it truly is and as it will one day be. And mature Christians are people who aren't scared of death. And that's a weird way to put it, but it's true. The the older I get, the more one of the one of the features that just tears human life apart and does so a lot of chaos is a, is a terrible fear of death. And mm-hmm. it creates all sorts of anxiety. And of course, unfortunately, our moment right now gives us more access than ever to people dying all the time. And we see the news unfold in ways that we never did before. That's why I think for a lot of people, consciousness itself has become such a burden because we're so flooded with so much more information than human beings have ever had to handle. And it's driving home, ironically arriving via all of our ingenious technology, but it's also driving home for us the fact that we are not in control. And that we surely will die. And not only will we die, we will suffer. And for a lot of us these days, the worst kind of thing that can happen to you, the thing that we fear the most is suffering first and then death. When in fact, both of those are guarantees in life. And if you're a Christian, they hold they hold no ultimate sway over you. And so I, now when I say that, Nathan, I'm not saying that I'm at a place where I'm totally fearless when it comes to death. I'm not. I have not attained. But, that's a, but that's, that's a mark of somebody who is truly at rest in the presence of Christ when they might, I mean, you'll always feel some perhaps some anxiety or, or something like that. But the, I've known people who truly aren't afraid, from what I can see, of death because they know real freedom in Christ and because they recognize that death is not the ultimate annihilating force that the world mistakes it for. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's brings us back to, um, hilarious isn't the word, but I, yeah, I guess the raw honesty of the gospel, you're not in control. Mm -hmm. You will die, but there's good news. There is somebody who is in control. Um, and is taking care of which this. is and why so, you're not God, which that's is great. why you're not a God <laughs> yeah. for so and many why reasons. You need, you need a God. That's why you need not a God. You need, you need the God. You need a savior. You you're need not to be a saved. God. And I think, yeah, you got to be saved. So that's why the, the notion that, I mean, so many of these other alternate kind of or exotic modes of spirituality that come to us through our apps or whatever do have a pronounced tendency to mislead us into thinking that we somehow are in control of our own destiny if we just harness the right tools or pay the right monthly fee 
you're not a god. You cannot save yourself in the ultimate sense. And that can cause huge vexation and fear and anxiety. Or you can know the liberating truth and, well, the liberating life from Christ, who offers you newness of life now and the promise of and the hope of the resurrection. I mean, again, it's worth pointing out, apart from Jesus's resurrection, I mean, again, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if, if Jesus has not risen from the dead, we are of all people most to be pitied. There is no hope in life apart from Christ's resurrection. Yeah, there's a, there's a, I know we got to bring this to a close, but there's also a funny little thing here is that um, you can't be a full human if you're your own God. And so there is there right. something that, yeah. that's spectacular about the beauty of humanity that we forfeit when we try to be a God. It's a whole, I think that's a whole other podcast, but yeah, I mean, I think examples of what we call inhumanity happen when people try to surpass their human nature yeah, or rewrite human nature in some way. So are we, can we conclude this then by saying Cameron that yeah, everything that we've said on here, I think sounds a little bit simplistic because it's so complicated and I, I appreciate having an audience that can run out all of those logical conclusions on their own. Um, mm. But maybe just a takeaway for us on a practical level is that actually when we look at a lot of the, well, maybe what we consider odd spirituality around us or the um, intriguing sacred rites that we see among our friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, that our response shouldn't be fear, actually. Our, I think it's, it's sorrow. It's, it's not fear. Um, and so I, I, there, there have been times in the past where Christians have had some pretty wild knee-jerk reactions to paganism, you can think of famous ones from witch trials to inquisitions, all sorts of things. Um, that's not the Christ-like response. Um, fear is not what should motivate us by any of this, but a vision of what is good and a sorrow of what is lost when we don't focus on the right things should be our motivating factor that's really born out of a love um, that's a byproduct of what God is doing in our lives and the fullness of what it means for us to be human and to grow in the image of Christ. And so I just want to leave everybody with that encouragement that it's not like you know, mm. we probably talk about this a little bit more than most Christian <laughs> sources of information do, but it is a massive part of our culture right now. And so you can't just sweep it under the rug. But I think if we recognize that it's not something to fear, but it's um, a real opportunity, then we can we can have our eyes wide open to what's uh, going on in the world around us and, and be faithful in that. So um, just want to encourage everybody along the way here that we're not, we're not talking about this because we're afraid of it. Um, we're talking about, or that we think it's weird. I mean, this is actually, this is called normal humanity. Um, but our chaos has been disrupted by a savior. And so that's, uh, that's where we get started in the conversations that we have. Hope this is helpful to you. You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.